From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Brian Mullady. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. It is Open Line Thursday. That means unfettered access to a living, breathing Dominican with just the simple activity of making a, a free phone call to us. Father Brian Milady is in the house. If you would like to be part of the program, please pick up the phone and give us a call at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd still love to talk to you. That number is 1-205-271-2985. And we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985. And you can always send us an email. That email address is openline at EWTN.com. I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall behind the glass producing the program. Your call screener, we think, is Ace McKay. But when I came down here to the studio, Ace McKay was in a meeting, so we'll see if it's up. Oh, Ace is there, screening your phone calls, so make sure you give Ace, as my wife would say, a big Heidi ho big Heidi hey when you uh, answer the phone with him today. And then Jeff Burson, magnificent person, handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window, and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host, the aforementioned... Father Brian Milady, how are you? Well, fine. Greetings from Christendom College in Front Royal, Virginia. <laughs> Very good. Give our best to everybody there. Now, you've got a topic you're going to talk about today, which is 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 interestingly worded: the problem of obedience. Yes, uh, in the contemporary world. One of the biggest difficulties we have is the nature of authority and obedience. And even though I put it as a problem, most people think it's a problem because they don't like uh, people impinging, so to speak, on their total freedom to do whatever they want. It's not really a, a negative thing. Obedience is a virtue. And like all virtues, it should, first of all, make you better. Secondly, it should lead you to peace when you practice it. And thirdly, it, uh, at least in religious obedience, it highlights the fact that we're destined for a greater world, the world in which we see the world as God sees the world. Now, the problem is that Obedience is found, formed and emotionally uh, prepared for by um, the way in which we treat our, our parents primarily, but authority figures when we're young. And there are, are characteristics to obedience, which, as I say, has to do with um, a kind of integrity in your soul 
in which you are giving yourself to something that's beyond your ability to attain on your own. But by the same token, there's a kind of pseudo-obedience, which is caused by our bad formation in families today. And Lord knows we have a lot of difficulties in families because it emphasizes only the emotions. The person who obeys, for example, from fear of another's reaction, the person who obeys from a kind of infantile identification with the person exercising the authority, you know, emotional identification is necessary in primary school children. It's not necessary and it's not indicated for adults. There's also a kind of obedience where you abdicate responsibility. I didn't do it. I was just obeying orders. It's their fault, their problem. And strangely enough, there's also a kind of obedience that has to do with getting things done. I obey a person because they help us to accomplish things, which is a, a utilitarian attitude. And then finally, you have people who obey in order to shame others. And all these are really more satisfying your emotional dysfunction than they are the true spirit and true virtue in which you put together in one great act, your intellect, your will, and your passions. Also, obedience has often been compared to willpower because the only um, power of our soul involved in it is the will. Well, that isn't true. It's true the will is a part of the act of obedience. But the word obadire, from which the word obedience comes, means to hear. Now, hear what? It isn't just physical hearing. It's internal hearing in which one person's intelligence seeks to engage another person's intelligence so that that second person may expand the truth of who he is and his relationship to society as a whole. In uh, Thomas Aquinas, he asks, if there would have been authority, even if the sin had been committed before the original sin, many people think that the cause of authority is just to save us from other people's selfishness. And St. Thomas says, no, there has to be authority in society because when you get a bunch of wills together, they're not gonna know what to do and how to accomplish their task unless they have a common direction. And it's the authority which gives it a common direction. So I often use the example of people rowing a boat. You have six people that get in to row the boat uh, everybody goes for where they want. There's no one to call the time, no one to give the direction. And as a result, you don't go anywhere. Well, there has to be someone at least to call the time who's maybe designated by the people who are rowing the boat. A similar thing is true of our life as a whole. We obey God out of love because we're well-formed in obedience if we've had good family life good education. When we obey God, we're directing our souls to a end, a purpose that we can't attain on our own, which is not only communion with him, 
but also love for one another. So the fact of obedience is absolutely necessary in any society, and unfortunately in Western society, which was based on the development of the proper idea of obedience to begin with, it has become tarnished so that uh, people look on authority as an external a natural imposition on our freedom instead as an aid by which our freedom is developed in the proper direction. You know, I think it's funny you talk about funny you talk. the, um, the, the way that, uh, that we learn authority primarily from our parents. And if you look at how things have changed in our own culture here in America, um, you know, it's, 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 a stark contrast to when I was a child, when you know, if a, if a report of any kind of misbehavior was uh, forwarded to your parents from a coach or a teacher or any uh, person of legitimate authority, you know, it was never questioned, and they immediately uh, grabbed you by the ear and looked to straighten you out, and that has been completely turned on its head in our culture today. Oh yes, the child is a philosopher in his own right. He's a good by nature. There's no sin involved or evil or selfishness. Uh, my Johnny wouldn't do that. Uh, he never disrupts class. He always does exactly what he, you know, what he does is what he's supposed to do, which is try to realize himself through his freedom. Uh, people like Rousseau maintain that the child is a philosopher in his own right. And you never taught him anything. All you do was get out of the way and let him, by self-discovery, uh, figure out who he is and what the world is. And we've seen how well that's worked. It hasn't worked at all. So um, we need to return to a realistic conception, well, of nature, but also um, the idea that um, comes primarily to us, of course, from Scripture, from the commandments, that we have to honor our father and our mother and honor us with our authority over us. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. It's Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Mullady. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. I want to tell you about a wonderful item at EWTN's Religious Catalog. It's a book titled Nursery of Heaven, and it's by Cassie Everts and Patrick O'Hearn. 
Uh, miscarriage, stillbirth, infant loss, they happen more often than we realize. And it leaves, you know, it leads many to suffer in isolation. But the, this book, The Nursery of Heaven, is a companion to help those that are grieving from child loss as they search for comfort and meaning. Not only will couples be able to relate to the experiences from saints, such as Louis and Zelie Martin, the uh, parents of St. Therese of Lisieux, uh, but also they will receive hope and consolation in their sufferings from parents who have suffered a similar loss, along with such beautiful prayers as blessing of parents after a miscarriage or stillbirth and the order for the naming of an infant who died before birth in various novenas. This book also provides practical wisdom for our pastors, family, and friends to help those who are grieving their child um, and looking for healing. Um, again, it is... The Nursery of Heaven by Cassie Everett and Patrick O'Hearn. Uh, it's available at EWTN's Religious Catalog. That's EWTNRC.com. Free standard shipping right now on online orders of $75 or more. Uh, use the code FREE at shipping, or that checkout, rather, and that's for uh, standard shipping in the continental U.S. only. To the phones we go. First up today is Jay in Knoxville, Tennessee, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Jay, you are on with Father Brian Milady. Hi, I have a question about uh, guardian angels. So my family was under the impression that you were able to give your guardian angel a name. But recently we were told that you shouldn't give your guardian angel a name. So is there an opinion on whether or not you should name your guardian angel? Thank you. Well, I've never heard you can't. And I've been living with guardian angels since I was in the first grade. Um, I don't know why it would be a problem for anyone. Uh, but, you know, people talk about all kinds of strange things today. So my opinion is that uh, unless it's just because it's not in scripture or something like that, uh, my opinion is that you may certainly name your guardian angel if it helps you to relate to this angelic intercessor. And when you consider the marvelous goodness of God, that he's even created an angel for each person, uh, I, again, I don't see why not, what the problem is. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Uh, Anne is in New Mexico listening today to EWTN Radio. Anne, you're on with Father Brian Mullaney. Hi, Father Brian Mullaney. I was wondering, uh, a while back I went into a a religious bookstore that was attached part of the church, and I saw these small plaster heads of Moses, but it it had horns on them. I, I just don't understand that. Why would that be? Well, they're not really horns. They look like horns. But remember when Moses was described as having light that came from his face so that he had to veil his face in the presence of God? That's where they're supposed that's what they're supposed to be. And it's hard to represent them in their in some small plastic way. But I, I, it's not really horns, no. You know? No, it's, okay, well, it's beams of light that came from his face when he talked to God in God's presence. 
God bless you, Ann. We appreciate that call today. That frees up a line for you at 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Rose is up next. She is in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Rose, thanks for holding. You're on with Father Brian. Hello, Father Brian. Thank you for taking my call. I have a question about respect. Um, I um, Obviously, it's summertime, but during the school year, I teach at a Catholic school, and I had an eighth-grade girl um, say to me, why, um, why like, should I be respectful to adults when they're rude to me? And I said to her, correction isn't rude. Maybe they might sound rude when somebody's correcting you, but it's, you need correction. You're only 13, 14. And I'm tr- I was trying to search for words, and I really, that's the only thing I could come up with. But I feel like she didn't really, didn't sink in, and I'm wondering if you have wiser words for me. Well, I didn't, I didn't quite understand the question. Is the question whether you should correct this person or not? No, sorry. No, 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 sorry. The, the question is, how do I explain to a young student that respect is necessary when you're in school all the time? It's not based on if you think someone deserves it or not, in my opinion. But maybe I'm wrong but I don't think I am. No, you're not wrong, because the teacher represents something beyond themselves. They represent the school, and they represent the truth, and they represent, in some ways, God. So now then the question is, is the teacher acting in such a way as to come up to those roles? Even if they're not, you still owe them respect because of their office. But it's not helping develop the sense of respect for others if a person doesn't act like they should in in this regard. And in fact, as you know, our Lord wasn't afraid to offend the Pharisees and people objected that they were elders. And uh, our Lord said, well, you know, elders are not just old in age. They're old in honesty of life. And he used the example, or we could use the example, because it obviously has overtones in this regard, of the prophet Daniel and Susanna. Remember, the elders accused her of adultery when they themselves were guilty of adultery. And he didn't respect them because they were hypocritical. So, unfortunately, teenagers love to test this. Because if they can prove to you that you're not worthy of respect, that means they don't have to respect anybody. So, uh, yes, they, they have to respect you. They have to respect you in your, as an adult. But you need to also act as one worthy of respect. So it's not an either or. It's a both and. Does that help, Rose? Yeah, that's exactly what she was kind of tattletaling on other teachers, and I was trying to tell her to, you have to respect them even if they sound rude because they're trying to help, but it does help. But I, so I, thank you. didn't tell me the case either. Uh, you know, respecting them means she realizes it's none of her business. It's none of her business to 
you know, by other teachers. That's up to the school administration, not her. And she has no ability to judge that and therefore no right to participate in it. She has to respect them for who they are, namely one of the uh, adults and one of the teachers. God bless you, Rose. We appreciate that call today. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Jim is in the great state of South Dakota listening on Rio Presence Radio. Jim, you're on with Father Milady. Yes, hi. How are you? Are you well? Yeah, he's fine. Go right ahead with your question, Jim. Okay. Yeah, so uh, just wondering, uh, I'm a psychotherapist. I see a lot of patients that are struggling with Pope Francis. They are feeling like they've lost their shepherd. He is a very controversial and difficult Pope. Um, Also, you know, he's opposed uh, Bishop Strickland. uh, Yeah, so... um Father, just in general, the the you know, I'm sure of it. Down through the centuries, the 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 duly elected pontiff has had those in favor and those not so much in favor, huh? Well, in the Middle Ages, you know, there was a pope who forbid the Dominicans and Franciscans to teach at universities. So the friars immediately began litanies for the death of the Pope. And he died within a month. And they used to say then, beware the litanies of the friars. Uh, I understand that there's some difficulties in this. And I appreciate the question, I think. But um, the issue is, what are you going to do, be a Protestant? Just lose your faith? I mean, not really. Who, who uh, has such a fragile faith? A person who occupies the chair of St. Peter for one term, who knows how long now. Francis has been pretty long, but it could be as much as a, you know, a month. John Paul I lived, what, about a month? Uh, who's going to surrender their faith over that? And... Not everyone in Rome today is educated properly. As we experience this difficulty in society in general, we also experience it in the Roman Curia. And so we need to just be patient with God that he has something in store and in mind in this. If nothing else, the purification of the church and ourselves which are perfectly healthy motivations. There's nothing wrong with those things. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. If you'd uh, like to give us a... uh, send your correspondence via email... Uh, you can do so by simply sending us an email. That email address, again, is openline at EWTN.com. That's openline, all one word, at EWTN.com. And put Thursday or Father Milady in the subject line, and we'll get it to the appropriate location. And also, if you give us a, a call after 
4 p.m. Eastern time on our regular studio line. That's 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986 after 4 p.m. You can actually leave a listener comment line call for us, and we may play that call uh, on a future episode of EWTN's Open Line Thursday. But right now, we've got a couple of open phone lines for you, and Father Milady's ready to take your call at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Milady. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. We've got some open phone lines for you and plenty of time for your calls at 833-288-3986. Next up is Sam in the great state of New Hampshire, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Sam, you are on with Father Brian Mullady. Thank you. Thank you, Father, for taking my call. Um, I was very interested in your talk about obedience. But my question pertains to your obedience and um, as many ordinations as I've been to, uh, the priest being ordained uh, swears his obedience to the bishop. Now what happens when the bishop changes? Let's say the bishop dies or the bishop leaves the office or whatever? That's a maybe a silly question, but um, I'm a former school administrator, and I probably related more to your uh, example of uh, kids in school, but I just wondered what happens to your allegiance. Does it just pass over to the new bishop? course, because you're only giving obedience, and no, don't forget, it's obedience and respect, is what you promised. Uh, it's only given to the person in the office. So when they leave the office, that's what they may do by death, or they may even uh, apostatize or something, uh, that ceases them. Thanks, Sam. We appreciate the question today. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Pick up the phone and give us a call. Cheryl did just that. She is in Newberry, Ohio, listening on the EWTN app. Cheryl, thanks for holding. Welcome to the program. Hello. Um, yeah, I had a question for you, Father. I have teens, and I was wondering what kind of guidelines can I give them for working on Sundays as it pertains to the Third Commandment? You have teens? Is that what you said? Yeah, teenagers. Yes. All right. Well, um, remember that the commandment is to keep holy the Sabbath, and what's forbidden is servile work. The difference between servile work and regular work is it's uh, lucrative, for one thing. 
So unless they're forced to do this to keep their job, um, they have to not engage in normal business on that day. Also, things like, oh, mowing your lawn or all that stuff, all that's to the, you know, um, maintenance of your house or shopping is another example or cooking is another example, which of course necessary. Uh, none of those things are forbidden by the commandment against servile work. What is forbidden is uh, doing a job you don't have to do because you make money from it. And we're not, we're supposed to have also a certain amount of time, like mass, for instance, and maybe some meditation or prayers after mass, in which we can uh, nourish our souls and forget about all the nonsense that goes with um, running a shop, which, you know, is not just work, but it can also be people who are trying to push someone else out, to get ahead, um, all these kinds of things that people do in business today. So it's business, basically, that's condemned. Uh, we're not, um, you know, Orthodox Jews, where they even have legislation in Israel, I think, on how many floors you can go in an elevator. That's not what our commandment's about. We're set free from all that. Because we need to be free to meditate and contemplate God. So it's the work that would not be something you would choose to do. It's not fun. And it's uh, something that's paid for. That's um, forbidden on the Sabbath. So I would encourage you to help them to appreciate the necessity of contemplation. Uh, in other words, prayer, and also to be careful to not just treat Sunday as just another day of work. God bless you, Cheryl. Thanks God so much you. for that phone call today. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. We head next to Huntington Beach, California. Wanda is listening on the EWTN app. Wanda, you're on with Father Brian Milady. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, well, my question is that um, I have an aunt who is already 84 years old. She was Catholic all her life, but until uh, like probably eight years ago, she went into some trouble, and, you know, the the Christian brothers and sisters from Protestant Christians came to her home and, you know, started talking to her until they convinced her, and now she's going to their church. And uh, it's an evangelist church. So my, I talk to her a lot, and we talk a lot about Jesus, and she's right now going through, again, through a... You know, her daughter has a terminal cancer, my cousin, and um, uh, I don't know if it's uh, appropriate at this time and age of hers to, you know, to tell her about going back to Catholic Church, or if it's just better to just, you know, let her, you know, uh, be close to God in their 
in her own Protestant church? Or is it, uh, is it, we talk a lot about Jesus and, you know, but I never, I'm, I'm, I don't want to mention the, uh, the, the virgin because I don't want, you know, I'm like, after her, she's very nice and sweet and all that. But I know for the fact that she's very into her now own church and because of her age, I don't, I don't know if it's okay to tell her about, you know, my Catholic faith uh, and that I'm learning a lot from my, you know, my priest and all those things. I, I, I don't know if it's appropriate. Yeah, what do you think, Father? I think it's probably always appropriate, huh? Yes, except I didn't quite understand the whole thing because of the connection. Well, her her this aunt is in her eighties. Was it? Yeah, her her eighties. She was a Catholic her whole life until about eight years ago, and she went through some hardship. And some people from a Protestant church were kind of available for her, and now she goes to their Protestant church. And Wanda is wondering if you know her, if if it would be appropriate for her when they discuss Jesus and other things to suggest to her aunt that maybe she should come back to the Catholic Church. Uh, yes, I think it's very appropriate. And you need to, I mean, this thing about, well, we talk about Jesus, well, fine. Lots of people talk about Jesus, but they don't have the fullness of revelation by any stretch of the imagination. Um, perhaps this person isn't well educated, and so they don't know what they're missing. But then you should tell them, uh, if you can, in as gentle terms as possible, what she is missing and why the sacraments are important to prepare her for her death, um, like um, anointing of the sick and the Holy Communion and confession, and also about what it means to be a part of a very large sacramental church. Very good, Wanda. We'll keep you and your aunt in our prayers. Next up is Carlos. He is in Dallas, Texas, listening on Guadalupe Radio. Carlos, you are on with Father Brian Milady. Hello, Father. Um, got a question for you. Um, rather conflicted about this question, so I've got to know which way is the correct way. Um, so in Matthew, he talks about our Lord Jesus Christ in the Mount of Olives asking his father if this cup can pass by him. He, he said it three times. Um, I've, I've done some research, and I've, I've read two different explanations on why he asked that, especially due to the fact that it was prophesied in the Old Testament several times. Jesus knew this from his divine nature, of course. So, two explanations. One that I read was it was his human nature. The second one that I read was him trying to teach the apostles not to go for the glory, but for the right reason in sacrifice. So, wondering if you could help me with that. Yes, I think I can, actually. Uh, first of all, he obviously can't be instructing the apostles because they're all asleep while this goes on. And, and it's true he talks to them about their inability to watch and pray, but they don't witness this conversation at all. Secondly, it's only our Lord's human nature that's involved because it's in his human nature that he shows his perfect obedience 
which reverses the unloving disobedience of Adam and the original sin. Uh, you mentioned the first part of the quote, but you forgot the second part, which is important to interpreting the quote. Uh, but not my will, but thine be done. Now, the idea would be that in our wills, we have three basic goods. We have the good that comes from our natural desire to survive. We have the good that comes from our feelings and pleasure and our revulsion to pain. And then we have the good which is chosen by us and it's where our morals, our obedience, our love in a human sense uh, occurs. Now, if Christ had been had gangrene in his arm at his time, and he'd been told he had to have his arm amputated, he would find this compromising, more than compromising. He would probably not will it from the point of view of his senses, because he knows it would hurt terribly, and from the point of view of his will as nature, because it threatens his survival. But neither one of these have to do with choosing obedience. On the love of his choosing will, he says, but not my will, but thine be done. This doesn't lessen the possibility of pain, nor the revulsion when his life is threatened. Although he can get through it because he knows about the resurrection of the dead. Instead, it testifies to the fact that many of us are put in very compromising situations. And as we look on it from that point of view, it's not something we would choose to do. But because we know God wants us as us, and in Christ's case, he knew that his obedience, loving obedience, was the only way to redeem us from sin. He freely also, from that point of view, in his human nature, gave himself without um, compromising his freedom and without vacillating and doing the will of God to the passion. And he embraces the passion under that. Uh, understanding. So, from two points of view of his choosing the good, it isn't good for him. I mean, if I told you I had to amputate your arm and there was no anesthetic, you wouldn't say, oh, good, cut it off. <laughs> Even though you might know it's the only way to save your life. In this case, though, remember, Jesus merits nothing for himself except his own resurrection. But he merits everything for us from love of us. And uh, by the way, through his beatific knowledge, which is also in his human nature, not as divine, Christ participates in the vision of God, and he also, in the garden, knows every single human sin that ever has been committed or would be committed. And he offers his life for each one of those sins of ours, personally. So, this is a marvelous example of the mystery of what occurs at the incarnation. Because all the, the experiences of nature all do what is natural to them. But there's still no vacillation because of the knowledge of the resurrection of the dead. 
Uh, it's Thursday night. That means the world over with Raymond Arroyo tonight. He's joined by Robert Royal, the editor-in-chief of The Catholic Thing, and Father Gerald Murray of the Archdiocese of New York. They'll have analysis of the new Cardinals being named by Pope Francis in September and the list of delegates named to the October Synod of Bishops. The world over with Raymond Arroyo tonight, 8 Eastern time, right here on EWTN Radio and Television. Next up is Vera. She's in the great state of Michigan, listening on Ave Maria Radio. Vera, you are on with Father Brian Milady. Hi, Father. How are you? Go right ahead, Vera. Can you hear me? Yeah, go, go okay. right ahead, Vera. My question... Okay, got it. My question is that I know some mortals tend not to go to church on Sundays, but is uh, how come the priests don't talk about it more to try to tell the people and probably warn them that it's a moral sin? What do you think about that? Uh, I think that in a loving way, uh, realizing that people come to experience truths in a different way, the fact that missing Mass on Sunday, which is the same as not participating in Christ's sacrifice, when you say that you love him, is a serious offense against the third commandment. And therefore, if unrepented, can uh, lead to a person, yes, uh, going to hell. That it is a mortal sin because we we need to encourage people. The reason the church put that in there is, you know, the church basically added the mass thing um, in the six precepts of the church. That they put that there for a reason because they wanted to emphasize very starkly how important divine worship of the Creator through Christ in the Holy Spirit is. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. We could still squeeze in a couple more phone calls at 833-288-3986. Jen would like to know, what are indulgences and what do they do? Oh, gosh. Well, we mentioned, uh, talk about this quite a lot. Uh, look, in every single sin we commit, there's an offense against God. But there's also an offense in nature where something is destroyed and also there's something in ourselves that led us to do this. Now those latter two things involve a temporal punishment but not an eternal punishment. We, we confess, we repent, uh, and then we know our sin is forgiven as far as God's concerned. But we still have this dross that's left over to us from our lack of charity in this world. The classic example of this is in the battle where the Maccabees defeated the pagans and they found a bunch of the dead with pagan amulets under their clothing. And so Judas concluded that they had been kind of syncretous, that they tried to have both ways. But they had fought for Israel and for the temple and for God. And so, remember, he had a sacrifice offered for them after their deaths. 
that they would experience union with God. Well, that's what purgatory is. Now, indulgences are an attempt to apply the infinite merits of Christ to this passive purgation which people experience in purgatory, not because they're forgiven their sins, they're already forgiven of that. What, what they have to do is to be right inside, to enjoy heaven fully, depending on what their evil was that they did, is still present. If you, for example, have participated in a, a mass killing, people are still dead. Somebody has to pay for that. And if you've done this because of murderous anger, you need to look at yourself and your own murderous anger. Indulgences are an attempt by the living who can do positive acts of charity to speed this process along. But the dead, who because they're dead, can't do any more positive acts to merit or demerit. It's the most consoling doctrine it's a very deep Christian doctrine, and it strikes at the heart of the Mass offered for the living and the dead in atonement. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Forrester's watching us on YouTube, and he says, What are the limits of obedience to governments? Do we obey unjust laws so long as they don't require us to sin or disobey the Church? Well, well, an unjust law causes you to sin against justice. Um, a law is an ordinance of reason made by him who has the authority for the common good and promulgated. That's a classic definition of law. If any of those things are lacking, the person is not obliged to obey the law. So it has to be um, proper authority it has to be an act of will on one person's part, but it has to correspond to the truth. It has to um, be within the competence of the law, um, for example, the Constitution, and also it has to be able to come to the notice of the people whom we expect and hold responsible for obedience to the law or not. And if any of those conditions is lacking, no, you're not obliged to obey it. Uh, we got an email here from Rachel. She says, I am Christian, but not Catholic. Do Catholics believe that I have a chance of going to heaven? Well, everyone has a chance of going to heaven. <laughs> Thank God. Unless you're in hell, which is only after death. Yes, of course you do. But you need to realize that what gives you the ability to go to heaven are means of salvation which naturally speaking belong in the Catholic Church. So it's fine to say you're Christian, that's wonderful, uh, but then the question is did Christ create seven sacraments or two? Well it can't be with both and, it has to be one or the other. And if it's not, if you're wrong or if we're wrong, it depends on who's, who's right or wrong, but uh, then you're, you're worshiping a false Christ. In other words, you have to worship Christ as he was while he was on earth, and that for some, for the Catholic Church, 
is maintained by seven sacraments. So if we say, well, it doesn't matter whether you think there's seven or two, that's not true. It's like saying it doesn't matter whether Christ is telling the truth or not. So Megan's got an email here, if it's a good one for a uh, Thomistic disciple like yourself. She wants to know, are human beings inherently good? They're inherently good as far as they exist. They're not inherently good morally, except in so far as their freedom corresponds to their inherent goodness in being. So they're not inherently good in the sense that they couldn't do something to act against their goodness of their nature and seriously act against it. And in doing that, incur spending all eternity in an unnatural state, which would be the state of hell. Um, And then um, B.W. writes in and he says, For God, does the end justify the means? For example, allowing evil to happen to bring good from it. Well, the end doesn't justify the means there. What is occurring is that God is permitting the means because he wants to bring a greater good from it, not a lesser good. So original sin was allowed by God. He didn't force it on us. Or he didn't uh, say, okay, I'm going to tell you to commit original sin so that I can use it for some other purpose because uh, nothing is utilitarian when it comes to God. But what he did was say, because you have a free will and I know you're going to commit the sin, I'm going to bring a greater good out of it. Before the sin, human beings were in union with God by nature. As in the case of grace, After the sin, they're in the unique union of the hypostatic union of Christ, which is to be united to God by person. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit descend upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father Brian Mullady, our producer, Michael McCall, call screener Ace McKay, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in to Open Line Thursday. Back at it tomorrow with our very own Vice President of Theology, Mr. Colin Donovan, on EWTN's Open Line Friday. Until we get together then, God bless. God bless.